This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne-WY-Giving. Philippians. We're back in Philippians tonight near the end of chapter 1. We segued. We stepped outside of our normal progression of teaching last week to start also teaching in the book of Acts. And we're just seeing how that goes. Teaching out of the letters of the apostles and occasionally jumping backward into the book of Acts because that's also one of the letters of the apostles so that we can learn about our own history, our own early years as a body of faith. No, of course, New Testament Christian churches hasn't been around since then, but the thread of continuity that runs through us in the spirit of truth and the spirit of God and the Holy Ghost and so forth, the blood of Christ, all of that includes us and goes all the way back to that beginning. But tonight we're going back into Philippians where we left off. We ended, I think, right about verse 26 of the first chapter. So let's just go ahead and start in verse 27. Well, except there's a pickup there. So let's actually back up to about verse 25. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you, with you all, for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me, by me, coming to you again. And then in verse 27, he picks up, he says, only let your conversation be as becometh as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. So let's back up to the beginning of that paragraph, and let's pick this apart a little bit. The opening sentence there is, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Now we know what that word means in the New Testament context. Whenever you come across the word conversation, it's not talking about two or three people that are chatting with one another. It speaks of your entire manner of life. Your conversation is how you converse. You actually look at the meanings of these English words that we're reading out of this translation. Your conversation means everything that you do. Not just how you talk, but how you talk, act, walk, work, play, communicate. Every single, asp- every single aspect of your life. From that which is internal, which is lived outwardly in the things that we do. He says, let your conversation, so let your whole manner of life be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. There's a whole teaching in that one little admonition. It's not even the whole sentence. Let your manner of life be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Let your manner of life properly represent the gospel of Christ. Man, that's a lesson for all churches everywhere. No matter their doctrinal slant, no matter their denominational label, 
It applies to every single person in the body of Christ. We represent. And I don't want to beat this drum too hard or too loud or too much, but someone's got to beat it. Not enough people are. And it's a trend in American churches and has been for a lot of years. It really got it really got going back in the, in the late 1960s and in the 1970s with the whole Jesus movement, the whole Jesus culture movement and the seeker friendly movement and all that stuff where churches started kind of analyzing their behavior, which was fine. There's nothing wrong with doing that. It keeps you from getting lost and petrified in the stuffiness of your little of your little church culture and you forget what the big picture is. They started modernizing in ways that weren't always good. There's nothing wrong with modernizing. All right? The goal of the church is to be holy, not necessarily to be conservative. Where holiness requires conservatism, amen. We wholeheartedly embrace it. But where there can be some innovation that helps in the presentation and the delivery of the gospel of Jesus Christ, why in the world refuse that? Or I was telling one brother, we were talking about that very thing. And he said, and I mentioned to him, you know, if it was all about conservatism, if that was the goal, then why aren't we all still singing in Latin? Now, Latin sounds cool, but most people don't know what it means. And so how in the world would it be edifying? And so and that brings up other questions and it divides camps of people. You have some that don't ever want to change anything. And that's a lot of believers right there. But then you've got those believers that want to change absolutely everything. What his admonition to us here in verse 27 is, let your manner of life be as it becometh the gospel of Jesus Christ. So judge ye in your hearts with the Holy Spirit at work within you and granting you both discernment and understanding. Judge ye in your hearts what's right, what's good for the church as a group and for the church as a collective of individual people to allow and to embrace within your life. What, is, what represents Christ well to you? Bad tempers and rotten behavior? What about lascivious appearance and immodest clothing and stuff that is uh, gender inappropriate? Does that rightly represent God and the gospel of Jesus Christ? What about drunkenness and excess of things? Excess of things that are either wrong or even excess of things that are right or things that are not necessarily wrong before God. There's nothing, you know, there's nothing wrong with sleep. But if you're sleeping 14 hours a day because you're lazy, not because of an illness, but because you just don't feel like getting out of bed, well, that's an excess of a good thing, isn't it? Does that well or rightly represent Goodness and the power of Jesus Christ in your life by the Holy Ghost. And these are just some of the first things that come off the top of our heads. Some of the bad ethics that we see. That, I don't know, is that, it? is that an oxymoron, a bad ethic? Is ethic intrinsically good? I'm not sure. We've got to look it up. Some of the lack of ethics or the bad, uh, bad systems of values or things that people do on a widespread level that are commonly accepted today, are these things a good testimony? Is fornication a good testimony? 
We know what that is. And no, I'm not targeting anybody in here, okay? But we have this one line, and it's so loaded, and it is so worthy of our crushing this particular grape to press out all the stuff that's in it that we may benefit from the wine of the Word of God. Let our lives be as it becometh the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, man, if that's not something that that flips the switch on some self-honesty and some self-analysis. Let us examine our lives as we ought to frequently do. Am I well representing my Lord? Am I bringing glory to my Father's house by the way that I'm living? And that goes so far beyond just meeting in the church house and assembling for scheduled activities. Whatever it is that's scheduled within the church, well, that's one thing, and it's supposed to serve a a purpose and a function. But then when we step outside those church doors, do we chameleon right back into the world and worldly behavior? Or do we, what's the word from a, there's a word from a, a hymn, lift high his royal diadem or something like that, banner? Yeah, the diadem's a different song. Or maybe it's a different part of the same song. It's a really, really old one. Okay? Do we keep our standards high when we leave the church house? And that's our standards of everything. Remember that word, that all-encompassing word, conversation, manner of life. Or do I, well, once I'm in my car and nobody can see me, I just kind of let it all down. It was an old Calvin and Hobbes comic strip back from the 1980s. And it was, uh, it was a Sunday comic. I remember this. The first panel was completely unrelated to the whole rest of the comic. The first panel had this, it looked like a nightstand or some sort of a, a small end table or something like that with a drawer and it had a vase on it with a flower poking up out of it and maybe a telephone sitting on top, old school with the uh, rotary dial on it. And it was just sitting there. And in the next panel... The whole thing was just skewed like some horrible impressionist painting, right? Something out of Picasso. It was all, all the dimensions were wonky and flattened and the the three-dimensional aspect was skewed all over the place. And this little speech bubble or thought bubble was coming out of the piece of furniture. It just said, "Ah." the visual was, it was all uptight and constrained before. And then when nobody was looking, it relaxed into some crazy looking shape. I never forgot that. Well, there are a lot of Christians that are like that. They have, any, they have everything neat and tacked down and, and polished and refined looking or Christian looking. They have everything decent and in order on the outside when everyone's around, but then when they're alone. And it's not in a good way. It's not in a good way. Because the things that are hiding in the heart that they're allowing that are not Christ-like, that they're allowing to uh, run rampant or to at least dwell in their heart, then they let that out. And sometimes that has a way of coming out at the wrong time. You know, when you're in the grocery store and you stub your toe against something or you accidentally knock over a display stand or something and then you let it out. Some kind of French or something. Or just some angry outburst at what you've done. Right when the preacher walks by. Whoops! Like a brother that I knew. A fellow that I knew many, many years ago up in Washington State. He was in traffic. You know that thing that brings out the worst in a lot of people? 
He was in traffic and he was late. Two terrible things. One, being in traffic. Two, being in traffic when you're late. And he was just hammering down a main traffic thoroughfare and somebody in front of him wasn't speeding enough for him. So he tears around the guy on the left and shakes his fist at him as he's running by. And it was one of the teachers at the Bible college. And this kid was a student. And the look on his face was related to me, something like, you know, whoops. The Bible says, be sure your sin will find you out. Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Remember, he was writing to the church in Philippi. He was writing to believers. He wasn't writing to sinners. He wasn't telling sinners to get their act, to get their act straight here in this letter. He was reminding Christians that it is their Christian duty and it is God's reasonable expectation upon us as His people that we live a life, a manner of life that is becoming to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or else what did He save us from? If we're still living in the same, if we're still living in the same spiritual and behavioral darkness that we were in before we ever believed on Jesus Christ, what have we been delivered from? If we're still living in lasciviousness, if we're still living in anger, if we're still living in wrath and malice, all that stuff is dark side and carnal as can be. So if that is, if there's any of that still at all in us, let us fight it dutifully and crucify it as well we ought to with the help of God. And we just preached on it. It's not all look, it's not all on you. It's not all um, by your own effort and by your own strength and all of that. You've got to remember, we have a helper at work within us. And I already feel the Spirit of God talking about this. So everything is exactly the way that it's supposed to be right now for this study. And we can just take comfort in that. It isn't all on you. It's all on you and on Him. Remember the helper, the worker that is at work within you helping you to do this thing. And so if you've come up against this one particular thing in behavior in your life, something that doesn't become the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's just kind of gotten the best of you over and over again, first of all, remember that, yes, that is always a conscious choice on your part, but you don't have to face it alone. Have you brought it to God? Have you, in all Christian sincerity and self-honesty, just brought it to God alone in prayer in the, in, the, the, in the dark hours of the night in your own home? Have you just brought it to Him? Sitting at your kitchen table. Everybody else is asleep or maybe you live alone. And you just laid it out there and you finally started talking to Him like He's your Father. Father, I've got a problem and I just am not getting the victory over this. Have you petitioned him for help over it? We have his promises on that. He will help. And maybe it's just an issue of discipline. And maybe it's more than that. Maybe it's so individual, okay? That it's just between you and God how best to approach it. But have you approached it with his help? Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. 
that whether I come and see you or else be absent. So whether the man of God comes around and sees for himself or doesn't see anything because he's engaged elsewhere, busy about the Father's business as all men of God ought to be. He says, whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit. It's another call to unity here as he's, as he's made a similar call in other letters to other churches. It's another call to Christian unity within the body of Christ. Everybody, come on, pull together, pray for one another, be of one mind, stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. That's a call to fearlessness. So a call to unity here within the church at Philippi, not being all divided up and being a church of 20 different conflicting doctrines, but a church all believing the same thing and having a common right understanding of the word. And then a call to fearlessness in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Because remember our adversary, the devil. Remember what he's all about. If he cannot overcome the church with divisions within itself, which he is always trying to provoke, then he will try to overcome it with terror and fear. Now, he has a hard time doing that in America, but he's been more successful in recent years than he's ever been. Really. Because of the way that the whole world is going. Our adversaries are real. I know the devil is the real enemy that's pulling all the strings, but he still has human agents that would just as soon, they would just as soon see every one of us jailed or shipped out of this country. And some people would, would see even worse than that happen to us if they could, because we represent something that they despise. But he calls us not to be terrified by your adversaries. So when you hear of pending legislation, Okay, when you read something on Facebook on the Cheyenne on the Cheyenne and Wyoming news Facebook page, or or you hear about something perhaps on the evening news or something on talk radio, is always something to terrify you on talk radio. That's why I can't stand listening to the stuff. It's all so much doom and gloom. It just makes you want to quit life and go move to Peru or something. You know, someplace where you think the grass is going to be greener, but then they've got their problems there too. It's the same human race every country you go to. And we're still better off here by every single account that I've heard. We're better off here than anywhere else. So when you hear things that would strike fear in your heart, don't be afraid. You heard about the Colorado Baker. They're suing him for a third time. It's like they hate this guy with such a pathological hatred that it just transcends the bounds of all reason or logic or rationale. It's just completely bonkers what these guys are doing. But you hear about him, and you heard about that lady. She's a Pentecostal of one stripe or another. Uh, she was an elected official. I don't know she's a county, a county assessor, I think, back east, maybe in Kentucky or somewhere in that general region of Appalachia. It's not technically Appalachia, but, but somewhere around about that part of the country. This is a few years ago. She refused to issue a marriage certificate to a same-sex couple because it was a violation of her conscience. And so they threatened her. They jailed her. They did all these things trying to terrify this woman into compliance with their ungodly sodomite agenda. And she would not be moved. I prayed for that woman. 
Don't let yourself get scared by these people. And it's easy for that. To, it's easy to allow that to happen. We live in the state capital. And I know people think that Wyoming is like super conservative, but we've got problems in our town. Whatever's happening in the offices and the places, the high places of power, in nothing be terrified by your adversaries. So they go, boo. Well, so what? I'll tell you what you do, okay? If this is a thing, even if it isn't a thing with you, okay? I highly recommend this. As believers, I highly recommend this. Go get you a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. It's a very old book. It's centuries old, okay? Uh, some people have tried to update it, modernize it, add some things to it. I can't speak for those copies. Get you a good original copy. It's written by a guy's last name was Fox. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Don't get an updated copy. Just get it as it comes. And start reading in there of some of the early Christian accounts of martyrdom. And it carries all the way through. It's a historical record, um, not anecdotal. It's a, it's a historical record, a case-by-case -case record of various notable martyrdoms throughout Christian history up to the late Middle Ages, I think, because that's when the author lived. And so obviously he couldn't write about future martyrdoms. He just wrote about up till his time. And you read about the early Christians that were martyred. And you read about some of them and how some of them were so passionately zealous for God, for Christ, and for the kingdom, that when they were rounding Christians up to burn, some of them were jumping forward voluntarily saying, here am I, burn me, or something like that. Now these weren't people that were getting sued. These weren't people that were getting picked on, by, on their job by, by, a, by, by a Wiccan or by an atheist or by just somebody who didn't like Christians. These were people who were being rounded up and killed. And you read about some other martyrdoms that, that happened under Catholic persecutions of non-Catholic believers or of people that they had labeled heretics that just wanted the, the simple truth and faith of the Word. And you read about the things that these people endured under real persecution. And it, what it'll do, okay, besides initially shocking and horrifying you, is it'll really help kind of reset a good, healthy sense of perspective on what we face here. What we're facing here is pretty milk and water compared to what they were facing in those times. In nothing terrified by your adversaries. Don't, as the man said, be a scared. God's got it all under control. Why be afraid anyway? Now I know that's a lot easier to say than to, to actually face it in the hour of your particular dilemma. Okay, But we have the apostles' admonition. In nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition. What's that? The fact that they're persecuting, harassing, hounding, grieving you in some way or another uh, for the sake of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ because you're holding fast to the truth and striving to live it by the power of God in you, your hope of glory, amen. Because of that, it's an evident token of their perdition. They are evidently enemies of the truth, enemies of light, enemies of that which is good, seeking to overthrow your faith, 
seeking to destroy that which God has accomplished in you, that they may make of you a trophy and a spectacle in the devil's trophy case. Don't let it happen. There's no need to let it happen. What are they going to do? In this country, what are they going to do? Well, just about at worst, legally, not even that, but they might throw you in jail like they threw that lady um, that we were talking about a few minutes ago. They might throw you in lockup for a few days while they try to drum up charges and discover that they can't because there's nothing against you. So what? Oh, well, what if some crazy person then takes exception? What if some Antifa weirdo comes along and bashes my skull in? Well, when you open your eyes and behold the glory of your Savior and hear the Father saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant, you don't have to worry about whatever it was you were worrying about before that happened. All your problems are solved. Where you're concerned, actually they get pushed on to somebody else, usually whoever's left behind, a husband, a wife, whatever. But not your problem. It's okay to be selfish at that point. You can just enter into the glory of your Lord and not worry about it. Just something to consider. In nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation. Your steadfast resistance to the attempts of the enemy and the, the enemy's people, your steadfast resistance to that is an evident token of your salvation. It's an evident token of the God that's alive and at work within you. Do you see what we're saying here? Let the heathen rage. To quote, well, to use the language, to borrow the language from King David, I think in Psalm 2. Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Let's just appropriate that, shall we? Let them rage. Let the heathen rage. Let them hate. Let them manifest every bit of the darkness that rules their hearts and is the evident token of their perdition. And my mind keeps going back to Portland, Oregon, and to these antifug males and females, but they are extraordinarily hostile and even violent. There was, a, I think, even a, a, a somewhat left-leaning liberal journalist by the name of Andy, Andy Go, NGO, it's a Vietnamese name. He's, I believe he's of Vietnamese descent. They snatched, they stole that guy's camera, Antifa. He was at some gathering recording what was going on because he was a journalist actually trying to do what journalists are supposed to do, which is report facts and keep their opinions to themselves. Okay. But he ended up getting mobbed by these guys. They stole his camera and they beat him so badly he was hospitalized and he may even actually have a little bit of brain damage. And this was a guy who was actually closer to their camp than any of us are. Let them. Now, yeah, the law should be stepping in, but the Portland police was, was neutered a long time ago by the, by the mayor and just different policies that they put into place. They've really had their hands tied. Uh, but, and, and that's a whole other subject right there. Let them rage. As far as where you and I are concerned, the law needs to do its job, yes. But where you and I are concerned, let them rage. And remember the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. Ye have heard that it hath been said, by them of old time, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil. 
Why? That you may be your children, that you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. I may have paraphrased the back end of that a little bit, but that was his essential message. I say unto you that you resist not evil. So if they're coming at you because you're the light of the world, if they're coming at you because you're making a stand for Christ, let them foam out all the evidence of their wicked, pathologically evil and monstrous hearts and exactly how much, how desperately they need Jesus in their own lives. And when they see what you take, what we take, it says something to them. The more that the enemy, that the adversaries and the enemies of the truth back in the early days of the church, the more they tried to crush us, the more they saw Christ manifested in us. And I know I'm kind of appropriating that for the modern day, but we're part of the same family as the early Christian martyrs. And so we can speak a little bit and claim a little bit of that. Okay, Let's do it carefully and with humility because we don't want to have to face that. But the more they tried to crush those people and they saw Christ manifested in their deaths, the more they saw these people have something. They're not hating us. They're not cursing us. They're not raging against us. All they're doing is loving us even as we are killing them in the streets. And there were many, many souls that have been won to the cross of Christ by that very avenue. No kidding. In nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For it is given, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. Brethren, we're called to it. We're not looking for it. We're not of those weird people that are looking for a martyr's crown. Okay, And maybe I shouldn't call them weird. Okay, Because it is a glorious crown to earn. But if need be, we suffer for the cause of Christ by the persecution of some enemy of the faith. God give us the grace to do so. And we have this promise. It's not here. Okay? And this actually concludes our teaching on chapter 1. We'll pick up chapter 2 next week, be it the will of the Lord. But we have this promise. If we're facing it, we can handle it. Or God would not allow us to face it. He would not have us in that position if we could not handle the heat. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving.